Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Edition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I am your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have got a truly seminal episode lined up for you. Alisa Hauser from Florida State University is on the pod, and it was, I think, a great conversation. Uh, we dive into some unique aspects of the program and then chat a bit about vocal technique in this process in the latter half. I will say we recorded this episode a few weeks back, but are now releasing it while Florida is in a state of emergency from Hurricane Idalia. So um, we're sending a lot of love and health um, to everyone out in Florida as they listen to this. Okay, a quick personal update in my life for the big event of this fall season. And that's to say, yes, the Downtowners did in fact win the Broadway Show League Championship in a rousing doubleheader last Thursday. Also, in much smaller news, I am getting married in five days. So, woohoo! Let's get to this interview with Elisa Hauser from Florida State University. Well, we are so excited to be joined by Alisa Hauser of Florida State University. Um, Alisa has a BFA and MT from CCM, a master's in voice pedagogy from Westminster Choir College slash Ryder University. She's taught at Michigan State and Westfield State University. She's been uh, on Broadway in Thoroughly Modern Millie, the original Broadway cast, where maybe that's where she met the great Ann Nathan, we'll it get is. into, uh, MPCA yeah. coach. Um, she's been in Beauty and the Beast, Grease, all kinds of wonderful stuff. And Florida State is located in Tallahassee, Florida. They offer class sizes of an intended eight is the goal for musical theater. My God, what a small class. Um, and they offer degrees of BFA in musical theater and other degrees as voice and opera, BA, a BFA in acting, BA in theater, etc. Alisa, welcome on the pod. How are you doing today? Thank you, Charlie. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Do we need to out you as a podcast fan? I mean, this is I, I think a podcast you should. Listener. Yeah, I mean, I will say in your words, I'm a fan of the pod. Fan of the pod. Gotta be. Pod. Gotta be. <laughs> um, well, I hope it's not too meta of an experience for you to be hearing yourself on the pod itself. Um, but let's dive in. I gave you that really brief bio, but is there anything um, else you'd want people to know about you? I know you mentioned it's your third year here um, with Florida State. Anything else you want people to know about you in terms of your journey here? Um, I do want to clarify that we have a unique program and that we do offer a BFA in musical music theater, but we also offer a BM in music theater. And so um, it's the same program, yep. but to slightly different degree tracks. And so I am the program director of the BM and then Kate Gellibart is our program director of the BFA. I love it. I love it. Um, thank you for clarifying that. Um, but what about your your artistic journey? How, how did you find yourself here in your third year of doing yeah, this? Totally. So, I mean, the short, the long short story is I started as a, you know, a musical theater fan kid um, doing all the things that your students are probably doing. Um, uh, high school, junior high, all that. Um, went to CCM, um, did showcased in New York, was super lucky, got cast in the original cast of Beauty and the Beast on Broadway um, just a couple of years ago. Um, you know, did the whole New York thing for almost... 15 years and then life sort of takes you in other directions mm -hmm. and I had a family, et cetera. Um, and so then I got into teaching and found that I just totally fell in love with it. And um, it provided the same sort of creativity and collaboration that I, um, I love so much. Um, and so I decided to pursue it on the higher education level. And then certainly, um, yeah, so Westfield state, Michigan state, and then this job at Florida state came up and it was 
at the time I was like, I'm not moving my family one more time, mm-hmm. except this job was like dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to get it. So you insist on jumping to, from state to state school. This is because you want your students to pay little tuition. That's the goal. Correct. <laughs> Um, So, okay, I'd love to get into uh, some of the specifics of Florida State, though you tell me when it makes sense to sort of um, further elucidate that, like, breaking of tracks. If if you want to say, like, start with that or if we want to get into that. But if I just maybe start with the general of what is it to be a Florida State music theater student? um, You know, what kind of students are you looking for? What kind of students do you feel like the program attracts? What kind of students are at the program? What do you think it means to be a Florida State student? Sure. To be a Florida State student, you will want um, a highly intense pre-professional conservatory-like training Mm -hmm. within a typical college experience, right? So, I mean, the students are going from morning till night with their musical theater and some academics, of course, um, but then they also go to football games and Mm -hmm. they can be in a sorority and there's thousands of clubs they can join and they can have that sort of typical college experience. Um, Our students are really well, they tend to be very well-rounded across the three disciplines. Um, I think we're known for having strong dance, um, but equally strong music Mm -hmm. and acting. We're talking about one of our dance coaches comes from Florida State from that strong dance background. Oh, yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, what, can you maybe give me, if there's a distinction um, in terms of when the track happens or how the training works, talk to me about what is what would make someone be a BFA versus a BM other than caring about the letters. Totally. Um, so it is, just to clarify, it is one program. It is one cohort. When students yep. audition, we don't know and we don't actually even care which program they have selected. Yep. Right. Um, but it is important that they designate before, you know, after upon upon acceptance, um, which call because they're actually going to be joining a different college. Right. Uh-huh. And so each college then has its own scholarship fund, et cetera. So um, the heart of the program is all the same. So the acting training, the voice lessons, the dance, all those the MT specific classes are all the same. Where it breaks off is the BMs have to take more music theory. Mm -hmm. They take music history. They have to do a recital their senior year. Anything that is required by any Bachelor of Music student, Mm -hmm. whether you play the harp or your composition, right? So our MT BMs have to do those same things. on the other side, there's more technical. So they'll take um, makeup. They have to do a crew requirement. They'll take uh-huh. directing instead of conducting. Uh-huh. They'll take um, history of theater instead of music history. But if there's a BM that really wants to take directing, if they have the room, they totally yeah. can. So it's you know it's just a matter of where those credits sort of flesh out. So not unlike if they were looking at different programs in some ways, the kind of student who might pursue the BM would be someone who is more musically minded. Maybe if they play an instrument, they read music really well, that they go, maybe I thought about I might want to teach music eventually. That might be someone who does a BM versus a BFA. Yes. Also, I'm seeing a lot of students who are interested in writing their own music, Mm -hmm. um, who are interested in being you know, performers slash music directors, or maybe that's just something, or maybe they just really want more music training is often what I hear. I just want more, I want more music theory. I want to know more about this. They want to be able to transpose their own stuff. You know, there's just get more of that. Totally makes sense. And also if they don't want to do crew, basically, it seems like that's the great way to do it is get out of your crew assignment, get a BFA. No, but do the BFA, so the BFAs get some more technical theater classes, it seems like. Do they also have more room for academics or is it the same number of total um, the academics are the same. Uh-huh. Yeah, the academics are the same. I love it. And you mentioned we're pretty even in the three disciplines in terms of the way that you approach them. How does, is there one that's a little bit more in focus? Is it, you know, you mentioned you're known for having strong dance. Is that something that you feel like you lead proudly with? Are you trying to say, hey, we're really excellent vocally. We're really excellent um, acting wise. I really feel like it's like a triple major in mm-hmm. that. And, and the students are really equally I don't say we're like a singing school or a dance school. I mean, we really are across the board. And as you know, the acting has to be at the heart of everything you do. Um, but but I say about we tend to have strong dancers because when I see them dance all together, uh-huh. like at our juries, I'm always, I'm like, yeah. holy cow, these kids are, right? It, 
And how does that work with, I want to, we'll talk about it with the audition too, but how does it work with leveling classes? And then also how does it work with admission um, in terms of, are you accepting people? Are you really looking of the eight that these are tend to be people at least have strong dance ability? I know some programs say, hey, well, some of our people are really strong dancers, some really aren't, but of your eight, are they all going to have some dance ability? Um, I would say across the board, they're generally at least very strong movers. There's a connection to their physicality, even within their acting and their singing. Um, we, we definitely have some students that, or we look at students that aren't strong dancers. So you don't have to be, you know, have had trait. And right. we know that that's not accessible to every student. So we see, we look for the potential. We look for the eagerness to, are you ready to be in ballet class for the next four years? Yep. You know, that's a huge part of it as well. There was another question you asked. Well, it was about that. leveling because I'm thinking with an eight-person class or a 10-person class or however, you know, these small classes, I can't imagine you have four different levels of ballet for freshman, sophomore. I mean, at some point you're like, there's two people at every so class. So we, um, we coordinate with the School of Dance. Uh-huh. Okay, so they have full dance majors. They have graduate studies in dance. So um, our students take the dance classes, the dance proper at the School of Dance. So they there are multiple levels including the very advanced dancers can audition to take with the dance majors. Mm -hmm. Those are really high level classes at the, we also have a whole movement sequence, which is taught by Kate Gellibart. Some of that is movement, you know, more movement for actors, but then it becomes musical theater dance and styles. And she's just incredible in that training. So they kind of, there's a lot of dance in there. It's it's one of the things I feel like, you know, you can watch a lot of influence of Broadway and how it's changing. And, you know, certainly, God, we know pop is just like, it has now taken over completely with, with Broadway. But I do think dance-wise, that's also happened a little bit, that like the line between quotidian actor movement, you know, and then what is dance feels like it has shifted. And, you know, there's still, of course, there's the music man and there's some things that are not going to look like that. But, you know, I, I just was semi-intimately involved with the jagged little pill of it all. I'm like, all of that dance felt like it could have been in a movement class, almost like a, a movement class into contemporary dance. And then, you know, seeing where that took it. Yeah. That pedestrian style of movement that looks heightened, I think is, you know, that's what grabs me on stage. Yep. Yeah. So true. Um, what about, so the actors, you mentioned you, you coordinate with um, the School of Dance. How do the BFA actors work in terms of their interaction with the musical theater majors? Mm-hmm. So the BFA actors take the um, first two years of acting classes with the MTs. So mm-hmm. they're all together in that training. And is there availability, the way that you talked about if the BMs want to take more um, directing, is there availability for the BFAs to take any more music theater classes, voice lessons, those kind of things, if they're interested in musical theater? Yes, absolutely. And they often are, and they perform in our musicals. They are often cast in the leads in our musicals. Our musicals are open to anyone. Um, so we have a lot of BAs and BFAs who are who are in the shows, as well as our MTs, obviously. Um, but yes, they can take voice lessons, Um uh, occasionally they can be admitted to the MT specific classes, but I'm going to say that's, you know, it's occasionally because the classes are so, so small. Um, uh, but there are other, there's a couple other MT classes that are taught for non MT majors. Uh-huh. So there is some of that. Yeah. It, and then it, dance is a possibility too. Right. Yeah. I, I imagine there's always that kind of student who goes, I'm a really strong singer. Maybe I'm really not a dancer, maybe not interested in dance, but I like Florida state. Could, could, could I live that ride that line of being an actor who sings and does some stuff in the musical world, but isn't necessarily a triple threat musical theater person. Absolutely. And we also have some crossover with our vocal performance majors, mm-hmm. right? So they will sometimes be in our, in our musicals too. And yeah. I love it. What about um, academically? We've talked about all these artistic disciplines. Academically, what do I have access to with Florida State in just terms of the the other, it could be academics, but also other life, you know, what else do I get from the college experience of Florida State? Oh, gosh, I am not the best person to answer this question. <laughs> I live in this <laughs> But I know world. there is a lot. I mean, there is a club for everyone. There, the, you know, there are 40, I looked this up, so I have the numbers. There are 44,000 students at FSU. Oof. Oof. So there are probably every major you can imagine. Um, that said, our students are busy and there's mm-hmm. not a, a lot of room. So students don't double major. Occasionally they minor. But um, if that's the case, if a student really wants a minor, they pretty much need to either be willing to do summer courses or come uh-huh. in with a lot of accelerated credits. 
Well, it sounds like the way you're even breaking off the BFA and the BM is already almost like adding a little minor. Like the BMs get a full triple major plus a minor in music. Or yeah, it seems no, like that's a great that's way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a hard hitting question here about okay. location because um, yeah. it's something that our families have brought up before. What is the experience of Tallahassee for people maybe who haven't been there before? Maybe especially people talk about with the audition, like it's hard to fly in. How, how do you find um, non-Floridians finding their way to Tallahassee? So I have a great perspective, right? Because I'm fairly new here. So it was mm-hmm. sort of like, I just landed here as well. Um, we have a great airport and it's probably from campus, 15, 20 minutes from campus, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. Now that said, there's not a huge amount of direct flights. So you usually have to change in Atlanta or Charlotte or Miami or something like that. Um, but it is very easy to get to the airport. So it's easy once you're here. Yeah. Um, I really like Tallahassee. There's, I mean, the great thing about Tallahassee is that our winter is like spring and summer in <laughs> Northern areas. Yeah. And so the academic year Besides the first four to six weeks, which are still crazy uh-huh. hot, are kind of glorious. Yep. And then as soon as it really starts to get hot, they go yeah. away, right? It's pretty good. So the weather's kind of awesome. We have incredible parks in the area. The food's really good. The campus itself is beautiful. It's it's a city, but it's not like a bustling city. You know, it's not like Boston, New York or something. Totally. Yeah. Well, and that leads me to where do you feel of the eight or maybe of the you know theater school in general, where do you feel complexion wise, how many come from the Florida area? How many come from, let's say, the southeast generally? And then how many come from all over the country in the world? Yeah, I mean, I haven't run the numbers, but I would say probably a third are of the eight maybe each year are Florida, Georgia. So it's like 2.8 students. That we're Southern saying. probably, maybe a little <laughs> higher. Yeah. Um, uh, and then they come from all over. Yeah, all, all over. I love it. Well, and we'll talk about this with costs because the cost for in-state is amazing. If this is right, I have $5,600 for in-state tuition. That's what I have. Yep. Oof. Um, that is a good... That's I mean, that tuition. Is, that's not room and board. That's tuition. I'm, yeah. I understand. I'm about to pay six times that for a daycare, basically, in New York. So <laughs> I'm just telling you I'm, that's pretty good. But then, and then eighteen five out of state. Um, how does that work with... Um, you know, if I'm applying from out of state, let's assume, you know, if you're in state, you're probably pretty happy with the situation already. But if I'm applying from out of state, are there any tricks in, of the trade in terms of potentially being able to qualify for in state? Are there scholarships? How does it work with bringing the cost down if yes, I need it? For absolutely. Apply? So from both colleges, the College of Music and the, the School of Theater, which is the College of Fine Arts, we both offer significant, partial, but significant out of state waivers. Yep. Right. That is super common, I will say. Um, and what and, would that look like? Well, I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to promise anyone a number here, but but when you say, are you saying, would it be half off? What, what, what kind of uh, significant tuition waiver would I be getting? Yeah, I, I don't want to say the wrong number, but I will just say it's significant. We try to get as close as we can to the in-state number um, with the out-of-state waivers plus scholarships. Yep. And then how do scholarships work? Are, are they more academic scholarships, more artistic scholarship? Is it more you can kind of work it out as you're putting together the eight? That is something that I am not the expert in because that goes to different, you know, I sort of say, here's the people yep. and what can you, what can we offer them? And then I might put, you know, push for somebody if, if the scholarship's important in order to get them, yep. obviously like that. Um, but I know they are significant and I know there's different ones and they're named after different people. And so they come from all different places and there's university scholarships and there's college of music scholars. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the launch into the business. So I'd love to hear, you know, throughout the four years, what you're doing to kind of prepare students for the reality of the business, but then also specifically the launch in senior year and beyond. How are we sort of engaging with the industry itself as we leave Florida State? Yeah. So Throughout the four years, you know, we try really hard to bring in as many guests as the budget and the time will allow. Um, so last year we brought in, for example, we had um, Scott Michaels from Wagon Mill Playhouse, who not only auditioned for the summer season, but also gave master classes for the students. We had um, Avalon Artist Group, Craig Holtzberg came in for um, a day of master classes. We had a nutritionist come in. We had um, two sessions with casting directors for our, for our seniors. You know, we are... We're working to do as much as we can throughout the four years because we also know that the freshmen and the sophomores, sometimes it's just a lot to process. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then as they go along, it becomes more concrete. 
Then we also look at this within our more advanced MT classes. So starting junior and senior year, we do a lot more audition prep, audition technique. We get more into the nitty gritties of preparing them for the business. Um, and then um, and then we have showcase. So senior year, they're preparing for our showcase, which now we do both a virtual that we mm -hmm. film with the professional film company. And then we also go still go to New York. Mm -hmm. um, and do showcase there. And that's also a huge alumni event for us. And mm -hmm. our alumni network is, it's really incredible. Um, it's strong and large and they are there to welcome those new students. And it's, yeah, it's great. And the, that is a showcase unique to the BFA or the BFA slash BM combined music theater majors as opposed to not with the actors together. Correct. The actors do do their own showcase, but it is, at least as of last year, was separate. Um, I think it's been combined in the past, but... Um, uh -huh. This going forward, it looks like it's going to be separate, um, but it is for all the MTs. Yeah. Again, whether they're, you know, the BM BFA delineation is, it's only. It's so true in the real world too. People don't ever know. I'm like, you have a BM from that school? Who did all no, those, those letters. Know. I know. Um, let's talk about, I, I realized I kind of uh, skated over curriculum because I was talking about the distinction between the BFA and the BM. Is there anything else that you want to give us just in terms of the four-year basics of you know, what it looks like for my acting journey, what it looks like in my singing journey, any other stuff that you wanted to hit in terms of the curriculum? Um, they have four years of, you know, eight semesters of private voice lessons, um, along with studio class every week. Um, this year I'm doing a freshman studio class as well. So I'm on the voice side, so I can, you know, hit the voice stuff hard. Yep. Um, the movement curriculum is really incredible. As I was talking about Kate's classes um, that combine with the dance um, the acting curriculum, we have a, some brand new professors and they are it's incredible. And then, I mean, my personal favorite classes are the MT specific classes where we start to combine. Mm -hmm. So junior, senior year, they take um, MT rep, which is basically acting the song through styles. Yep. And then they take a class called MT workshop, which is um, basically scenes to study, small groups, really and getting into the acting of um, in, in those combinations. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, okay. I'll ask the toughest question last, which is as you're, you know, you, you have a very intimate class size as you're giving these yeses and people are saying either yes or no to you. Why do you find um, students say no to you? Why do, why do you find students go somewhere else? And if you want to give us also why they sign on the dotted line, that's fine too. But tell me, why does someone actually say, you know, Florida State's not for me? Charlie, I don't know. <laughs> they don't tell you? They don't say, hey, I ended up going to NYU for this reason. I ended up going to blah, They don't blah. tell us why. I mean, sometimes I'll have the conversation with the student as they're making the decision and they're saying, I'm deciding between this school and this school and I want to know about this, da, 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 da. But uh, no, but then they don't, I don't know why. They're all <laughs> I too nice. Imagine. Like, I, I you're mean, my dream, they, but I'm saying no. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what I hear about why they say yes is usually when they come here, they, they meet the students, they get a sense of the culture and mm -hmm. the the energy of the of it and what the training's gonna be like. And then I feel like they're hooked and they can't wait. Yep. Um, I feel like they're very proud to be FSU students when they get here. Um, um, it, what if I ask it a slightly different way of what kind of student would you feel like, hey, this person might not fit well here, right? You kind of mentioned a little bit of what you think a Florida State student is. What kind of student, if they did come to campus, would go, I don't see myself here. This doesn't feel like it's quite the right fit for me. Um, maybe if they want to be in a city with more professional opportunities, mm -hmm. right? Because we don't have like professional regional theater here. We have community theaters that are great, but if they want that kind of experience, we're not connected, say, with a, um, a professional theater. Yep. Um, if they want to be closer to New York, if they want to jump up to New York every weekend for things, that's not us, unless yep. you have pocketfuls of money. Um, and if you have pocketfuls of money, why are you spending $6,500? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but I would like to find out this answer. So All right. we're going to do yeah. some re some crack research yeah. on, on your behalf and we'll come back and let you know. Um, we're going to take a short break and on the back end of the break, we're going to dive into the audition process. And I'm also going to ask you some vocal tech questions because awesome. we've got to. 
All right, we are back with Alisa Hauser, and we're going to dive into the audition and the admission process. Um, I'd love to just start off with, in general, what are you looking for when you see an audition? What makes you go, I'm interested in whether it's either, either passing a, a pre-screen to have a callback or to actually say, hey, this person's going to be in the pile that we're going to maybe invite to, to come to our school. Yeah, I mean, sort of my general impulse is, this is great and I want to see more. Right. I mean, ultimately, we want to work with them in the room at the final audition. Um, but there's definitely a skill set level that has to be there for the pre-screen. Right. Yep. So as many of your guests have said previously, singing on pitch, um, having a sense of the storytelling they're doing, having a sense of their physicality, et cetera, and, and some kind of um, movement ability. Yep. Um, and then beyond that, you know, so uh, we have a three step process. Um, which we've been using for the last couple of years, uh, three years, three years now. And that is this pre-screen. And then step two is a live Zoom. Yep. So from the pre-screen, we would invite you to a live Zoom uh, where we would ask you again to sing your two songs, do your monologue. We have a chance to chat with you. So here's where we get a sense of the human, yep. right? So then the human part of it um, comes into play. And then from there, we invite to campus yep. over two days. And so we're hoping that we're not asking that many people yes. to spend the money to come to campus. And there are occasionally exceptions where people can't, and then we we make accommodations for that and we'll do a virtual. But we want to see you in person. And give me a general sense, again, you don't have to give me exact numbers, but what is the general sense of that three-step process of like what the cut is? Like, are we losing half the people on the pre-screens, another half on the, how does it work in terms of what number is invited to campus for the third round and where we lose them along the way? Right, right, right. So I'm going to guess and in general say it's more than half that goes past the pre-screen. More than half goes past the pre-screen. Yes. So we're only losing maybe a third or whatever. I think so. Cut. I think, yes. And then the second Zoom is a, is a real audition, right? You're, you're interviewing, but you're also going to do the material again. Absolutely. With and all those and at that point, we send you a dance audition mm -hmm. that you have to learn on your own and tape and send back to us. Yep. So whereas the first one, you can choose whatever choreography you want. This one, you have to do the choreography we send you both a yep. ballet and a, a musical theater styles. And so that's oh. also a lot of information for us. Totally. Um, and and well, interesting, we talked about in terms of the dance, how much you're evaluating that, that you're, you're gonna have seen three dances by this point and they haven't even come to campus yet. You're Correct. seeing their own, another, you know, two dances from you. So certainly it's gonna be weighed a little heavier than some schools that don't ask for dance at all or whatever. Um, but okay, Chris, so, but then how, how many are we losing at that point? If we, if we had a third of the original, or two thirds of the original applicants from the pre-screen, how many are we losing from the Zoom to the callback portion? Um, I would probably say, say two thirds, two thirds. Okay. Of, yeah. that, of that third. So now we we're down try to, to get it down. Number. I mean, by the time they come to campus, honestly, we want all of them. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have to make a choice. Yep. Right. Totally makes sense. And what does the third audition look like? So basically if the second audition is a callback is a real sort of, that feels like a callback audition. If you're doing yeah. stuff we've seen before and you know, you're asking for additional material with the, the dances and those kind of things you may ask or may not ask for different songs and monologues, you know, if you're in the zoom, what does a third uh, audition feel like if it feels different in tone than the, the zoom? Yeah. So we, we want it to be more of a campus experience because at this point we also, we want the students to want us, yep. right? I mean, that's how it feels when they come to campus is we're saying, Hey, choose us. Yep. Um, so it, we we invite them. We always plan it so that our musical is running that weekend. Um, so we um, hopefully they can come see the show that Saturday night and then Sunday morning. They start with a dance class and it's a full class, yep. right? It's not just like here's the combination. It's a full class with live piano accompaniment and uh, two combinations. Yep. And then uh, they go to lunch with the students. So they get to have that with our current students. So they have that full experience. They get to meet the students yep. and interact with them. They have a campus tour and then they um, do their audition for us, which is again, two to three songs, a monologue. And then we have the time to offer adjustments in the room and get to you know, ask questions. At the yep. same time, the parents have an information session with our, you know, um, our admins. So they get to ask all the parent questions. And so it's, it's really, they get a sense of, yeah. 
No, it's a really, it's a, that's a, what a great in-depth um, audition process. I'd love to ask, we had asked one of the, our former um, guests on the pod this same question, but um, I think it's a fascinating way to audition, sort of doing a class, quote unquote, as an audition. And I guess I'm interested in, do you have any advice for students who are like taking a live dance class, which is not an audition, but a class, what they can do to show themselves well in terms of, you know, the way they can authentically engage in the class, but knowing they're being looked at and potentially judged of who feels like they're a fit and not. What, what, what advice do we have for those kind of people who are, who are on campus in the sort of immersive experience kind of auditions? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you know, you're <laughs> auditioning and yet, and we also put our students, our current students in that class, right? Mm-hmm. So they're peppered in um, and they're standing in the front to guide them. I mean, whatever the student can do to make themselves the most relaxed and the most comfortable. And so if that means standing in the back, then stand in the back. If mm-hmm. that means standing in the front, do that. Like whatever, you know, if you want to have your eyes on the demonstrator the whole time, do that. If you can perform more, what, because we all know that if you're in your head and you're just thinking about the nerves, am I doing this right? Then you're not able to really do your best. And we mm-hmm. just want you to do your best. We want to see how you work. You know, how do you process the information? Are you picking it up? If you're not, that's okay too. But then how do you execute it? Mm-hmm. Are you able to take the notes if you're given a note? It's, you know, it's that whole soup. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, and talk to me about, so you guys traditionally have not done unifieds, right? You've not participated in any. Don't do unifieds, no. And as of this next year, it's it's going to still be one date where they have to, one weekend they have to come in? Or how does Two. that work? Two total weekends they come in. BFA or BM intended, and these are both going to be in in the in early theater. in the early winter in the sort of January February time. Yes, it's set for I think the last Sunday of February, the first Sunday of March. Last Sunday of February, first Sunday of March. Okay, great. So wonderfully, these don't conflict with Unifieds, right? Which I think it's also been true in the past. Um, I'm kind of interested in have you thought about ever doing a you know the, one of those Unified or, or you know popping on? I know you wouldn't be able to have the exact same experience with the you know, seeing the musical and that kind of stuff. But um, what went into not joining a unified? Yes, I've had a few conversations about this with our admins. And for just for many reasons, um, it doesn't make sense for us. It it does. It doesn't work. Uh, And we feel like so far we are still getting a terrific cohort and we're reaching the students. I mean, there's lots of ways that, you know, we recruit all year. We go to lots of events. We go to all these, we we go to high schools directly. Yep. You know, there's a lot. You join podcasts. I mean, whatever oh, you got to do. podcasts. To get the name Boots out. on the ground efforts yep. to get, you know, to reach as many students as possible. For a long time, our BFA actor auditions were at Unifieds. Yep. No, that's great. I mean, it's the it's so interesting because you're talking about sort of access in terms of the ability of fewer people to have to fly to campus. But then it's always that little balance of going. I, I say with I think with you guys, Florida State people know of the school. It would be more about can I add it to my list because I'm doing 15 other schools, and if it meant I had to fly there versus I'm going to Chicago or LA or New York, you know it, that that is a potential different expense of going. If the good thing happened and I passed both, it would mean a flight. And I guess that's where my parents were complaining, going, "It's a two flights, or it's whatever." You know, it's a not even direct, or you know. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we understand that. And like I said, I mean, we had a few students this year that couldn't right. for for many different many different reasons, and so we made accommodations for them. But the glory at the end of it is if you were to actually get in and have an option that was such a low tuition cost that's also that could may potentially balance it all out so these are difficult decisions these families have to make of going i want as many options but i'm trying to save money on this end but i'm trying to save money in the back end yeah and i really feel for the parents i mean this process is so different than it was like when i was applying to musical theater schools when you did it 10 years ago exactly (laughs) a whole 10 (laughs) thank you um i'd love to talk a little bit about how you watch the pre-screens because you know especially hearing hey i'm losing about a third of the people it seems like maybe that's not an incredibly in-depth watch, but you tell me, are you watching the whole pre-screen? Are you skipping around? Or are you looking for specific factors that go, oh, I definitely want to see at least a second audition from this person? How does that process work for, for you guys? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I start the season. I am so excited. I feel like it's an honor to get to watch these. It sounds sort of cheesy, but I do. I mean, I feel like these students have worked so hard at putting mm-hmm. these together. And I feel like I get to, you know, watch this and take part in this part of their journey. That said, (laughs) by December 1st, 
Yeah. <laughs> if I could give any advice, I would say, please get your pre-screens in, not on December 1st, yeah. because our eyes are just not as fresh as, as much as we want them to be. It's right. It's just you we're teaching all day. We come home at night and we're sitting at our computer and we're watching these pre-screens, which I love them. But um, I try to watch as closely and with as fresh a mind as I can. Uh-huh. I mean, I try, I try. I'm also human. Yep. Okay. I'm going to be in my, my own annoying parents because we give that exact same advice almost to, to the T um, of terms of that. Is there a date where you feel like here's when my eyes begin to glaze over? You know, Because I think what we often say like, Okay, yes, please don't get them right before the deadline. That does not mean you need to be filming in August necessarily. No, no, no. That's ridiculous. But, the, but the, so then they, all the parents sit there and they go, uh-huh, so what date? Tell me, is it September, October? When do I need to film? Is there a date where you feel like, hey, by around now, it starts getting, you know, the traffic jam of rush hour. Begins. So for a fl- I can only speak for Florida State, right? I don't know how all the other schools do it. But for, for us, I don't even get sent them. They don't get dropped into my bin until early November, uh-huh. maybe late October. So they might have been submitting in September and October, but you're not actually looking till top of November. Right. And right. then even though they flow in like alphabetically, yeah. I get encouraged. Stop. You can't go alphabetically. You have to mix it around because right. we can't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Otherwise so, the Z's will never get to go. Or whatever correct. Like. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, but when you say, now, are you watching all of them individually yourself? How does it work in terms of do multiple professors give a yes? How does it work in terms of do mm-hmm. multiple people watch the whole thing through? So Kate and I both watch all of them. Love it. Yeah. I love it. And then is it you both have to give a yes or either of you has to give a yes? Um, yeah. We, we There's a system and then it goes to um, Michelle Diamanti at School of Theater. And if there's a then she makes another, right? She she helps us with that, yeah. And does that when academics are going to factor in or do academics only factor in at the end? Do, do you get that now I've passed the academic bar as part of the pre-screen, yes? <sighs> the sigh. You're like, you start talking about academics, I'm out, I'm done with this podcast. Uh, no, here's what I'm going to say. Academics do matter and we are competitive academically. Florida State is. However, um, we... Um, we can make exceptions for talent. Right. So if you really like somebody who's below the academic bar, will you see that at the point of the pre-screen? You go, well, I see that GPA. It's below our normal thing. But this kid's really special. Can can I have a, a So I don't look at that those numbers, right. but Michelle does. Yeah. And so then she can help us with that. Yeah. Do work. And do you interact with any of the academic part? Do you interact with essays or do you interact with any of the other parts of the, the application that isn't just the pre-screen? I do. I mean, we have the whole file there, yep. right? And so um, sometimes if I'm on the fence, then I will start to look at the recommendations and I'll, I'll look at the letters more closely. I try to read the... Um, the, le- the the supplements? Yeah, the, su- yeah. the supplement. Mm-hmm. I think our question is, what is your um, dreams and goals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the su- so yes, I, I look at that. As far as like going through everything in the right. recommendations. You might not go back and do the Common App essay unless it's a specific situation or something. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Totally correct, makes correct. sense. But and never the grades or the SATs. That's just not something. Well, that I'll glance at them because uh-huh. it's it's it sort of gives me a fuller picture. So on that first page, I'll glance at where they're from and what their general GPA is, et cetera, and then I'll look at the resume. Yep. And then I go to the materials. Yeah. And and how do you interact with the wild card? What is that? What what is that gaining for you, or how are you imbibing it? I love the wild card. I love it. Love it. Love it. It makes me remember students. Uh-huh. It makes me, it's just a, such a fuller picture of they're not just these, you know, musical theater skill sets. Yep. Um, yeah, because ultimately it's like, who are we, who do we want to spend the next four years with in a room, especially when there's only eight per class? Mm-hmm. It's such a highly mentored um, program that we, we see them all the time. How do you feel about, you know, I get this question a lot actually with songs and monologues individually, but then also a little bit with the larger, you know, audition package, if you're counting now the application. How do you feel about redundancy in terms of like, you know, if in their wild card, they do something that they also talk about in their essay or that kind of, does it bother you if you go, I've seen that before, you know, if three or four times you're like, all right, we, this person really is into clowning or something like this, or is you're like, that's cool. This is who they are. And they love talking about it. No, that's, that's cool. I mean, that's, I think either way, it can, it could work either way. It's just sort of like layers on, oh yeah, this is the clowning student. Uh Right. And Uh I will remember that. It's just, um, yeah. Or also you go at this kind of interesting, they're this and this and this. That's also interesting to you. Yeah. A different information about a student. 
I love it. Um, okay, now you've got eight students you're shooting for. My God. So what else do you think about as you're filling your class? Of course, we're looking for talent. We're looking for those interesting people, people we think are going to fit well. Are you being conscious of gender balance and racial balance and height and size and geographical? Is that stuff that you think about as you are looking at, you know, what are the eight people that are going to come join me? And if so, how does that work if you're trying to give yeses that you don't know that are gonna, they're going to say yes back? And how does that work with the initial offers and then waitlist movement? Yeah, I mean, we ultimately want a balance, right, of of everything, but it's not something that we specifically go, we don't have enough of this, so right. we have not, to- I need two of these and two no, of those. No, I mean, it's sort these. of who we really want to work with um, is, is the holistic approach. Um, I will say one other thing that comes into play in terms of the decision-making is, you know, after the the skill set and that, you know, like I said, everybody that's on campus by that point, we want them all. And then it becomes more of, can we serve this student? Uh-huh. Do we think that, you know, I love it when I'm like, oh my gosh, I can help this person so much. I really want to have this person in voice lessons. I know what to do. Um, and they sometimes show us that in the, in the acting adjustments, whereas, you know, if we give an acting adjustment and they don't take it at all, it's exactly right. the same. It's like, I don't know if I can help this person. Even if they're really good. Even if you go, that performance is really good, but I don't know what I have to offer you. Correct. Yeah. And so then maybe that would, it's sometimes we still make that offer because we want to, but sometimes that's the reason why that yeah. super talented person doesn't get the offer. Right. Because, right? and you just think there might be someone else out there who's going to connect with that person Correct. and get them. Maybe, maybe you didn't really connect with me because you just did the same thing, but maybe there's someone else out I'm there. I'm a human too. Not right, yeah. Totally true. Um, okay, let's get a little bit into specifics of voice. So you mentioned singing on pitch. Um, I just love to hear like when you're listening at all the three levels, you know, the pre-screen level, and then you're listening in that Zoom audition, and then of course the the final callback as you're deciding are, are they going to be one of the eight. What are you listening for in terms of like vocal potential? Um, I guess, are there any vocal red flags that you go, this could be a real issue. I don't know if this person's going to be trainable. But let's, let me start with that question and then I'll go beyond. But so what are you listening for in terms of vocal potential specifically? Mm -hmm. So for female identifying students, I'm looking for um, the balance of the registers of, you know, head, chest, and how does the middle combine? Yep. That said, if a student comes in and belts both songs, I will probably ask them to vocalize in their head voice because yep. I want to hear what's going on up there. And then what are you listening for? Because that's probably not uncommon. Most of our students, I mean, every once in a while you have somebody go, oh my God, you have a mastery of everything in your voice. But yeah. most students have something they're stronger in. They may say, I'm a, I feel a little more comfortable in a belt or more comfortable legit. But if you're in the one that you're less comfortable, what are you listening for as you vocalize them? Yeah. So if they're a, you know, a strong belter and I vocalize them up in their head voice and it's just gone. There's yep. just nothing there, right? That tells me there's a big imbalance and it's just going to take more uh -huh. to build that. That doesn't mean we're not going to take them. Right. But if also the dance is really weak and also the acting was adjustments weren't there, right, right then, then that's a third thing, right? So it's right. sort of, again, it's all in, in a balance. And do you give any vocal adjustments specifically of going, can you try this? Or is it more, hey, I'm, I'm hearing where you are? Depending on how the students interacted so far, I will. If I get yeah. a sense they are open and ready to try, then I absolutely will. And sometimes I just say, can you drop your jaw a little bit? And I'm like, right. oh my gosh, and theirs was the sound, uh -huh. right? Um, but if I got a sense already that they were doing what they were doing and this, they're already uncomfortable, then I will just drop it. Yep. And then with one of those students, so let's say there's a student who comes in and vocally is not hey, I'm in great shape in every register. This could be male or female identifying, but the what would the journey of the four years look like? If you took a student, you go, I, I, they're so talented. I love their acting adjustment. The dance was great. They have such a good belt, let's say, but they're really nothing happening legit. What is then the approach going to be? Hey, over four years, we're going to work on this. How? What does that look like um, with you? Yeah. So no matter who their voice teacher was, I would want them to make sure that they start building their head voice, mm -hmm. right? That they start exercising those muscles to create more balance. And ultimately that's also going to help their mix, right? And their belt mix. Um, so balancing the registers is huge. And then, you know, any other, if there's any reason that there's constriction and that's why that the head voice is imbalanced, you mm -hmm. know, that we would want to address that as constriction well. Constriction meaning like tension? Like there's a Co correct. Point. Constriction meaning tension. If you want to get technical, there are constrictor muscles and they're all, you know, it's all connected. Yeah. Um, 
I want to get uh, as untechnical as possible for the people who don't know what words like constriction mean, yeah. but it's fine. Tension, it's, basically t- tension I'm sure you're using it more precisely. Yeah. Um, what about when you hear like a vocal health issue? You know, a lot of our students talk about like, you know, well, of course, if they can't phonate, they're not going to audition. They're going to have to re, you know, schedule an audition. But, you know, if they go, I think I'm at 80%. I'm okay. I'm a little fatigued from my musical or from whatever. And should I do my audition? How do you hear a student who comes in and isn't in perfect vocal health? Yeah. I mean, I have pretty good ears. That said, I'm not a doctor. So mm-hmm. I can't hear somebody and say, oh, there's something going on. You really need to get scoped. Right. Uh-huh. Um, of course, we want people to come in with healthy voices because it's just going to make their journey so much easier. But it happens. I mean, vocal health and vocal injuries are just part of part of the game as like any other dance injury or something. So um, then we would just recommend that they get seen by, you know, and I have a list of um, people that I would specific laryngologists, I would want them to see, et cetera. And then we would, you know, work, work with them through their journey. That wasn't actually the question you asked me, but um, <laughs> pretty close. But yeah, yeah, it's just about like, you know, it, it, I guess, do you ever admit students where you go, I think I can hear the potential even through, oh, you know, your voice is a little because raw. Because a lot of times, like if you hear a little roughness or if you hear um, some breathiness, that doesn't mean anything's wrong with their voice. Right. Oftentimes it's just either a rebalancing or honestly, the voice change in male identifying students uh-huh. sometimes has just happened a couple of years ago and they're not even on the other side of it. And so we have to be attuned for that as well. That certainly was me at 18 years old. I just had hit 6'4", and I lost like two octaves of range in a short bit of time. I know. It's it's maddening for those students. I feel terrible for them. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And sometimes, right, their range doesn't fully come back till they're in college. I remember I was taking voice lessons, and he was like, it'll probably be until you're 30 that you're really going to fully get (laughs) this part of you back. I was like, no. He's like, because he also was like 6'6". He was like, I'm just telling you, like, you're not going to have the top of your voice fully back until you're 30. <laughs> um, luckily, I'm 30 now, and I have it back, and it's no problem. Um, I was going to say, just talk about the journey of the four years. I, I think uh, dance-wise, people seem to have a better understanding of some of the growth that can happen, and maybe also what can't happen in terms of you're unlikely to turn into a ballerina if you've never taken ballet at 18. What does? And, and I would say maybe the converse of that, acting-wise, I've certainly put out there. I've seen people make phenomenal, incredibly quick shifts where you go, this person brand new to acting and now is an incredibly talented actor in a couple months or whatever. You go, really can click in. What does it normally look like for in, in a, a voice journey of four years in terms of where someone starts and where someone ends? How do you see progress happen month by month, year by year? Right. Well, we definitely want to be seeing progress, you know, each year. But in general, the I have been trained to think about it as it takes two years to really make significant lasting changes in a voice. Mm -hmm. And that's a long time. Mm -hmm. And students, not all of them, some students today are here for the quick fix, right? How many times I get, do you have any tips and tricks so I can hit this note that I've never hit in my life? (laughs) Well, sort of, but also that's not the goal, right? The goal is to make lasting changes. And what I say to my students all the time, easier for me to talk about this because I'm a voice teacher, is it's just like going to the ballet bar, right? I mean, how long does it take to make lasting and significant changes in a ballet class? Mm -hmm. It's not just once a week, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's where the value of practicing and the value of, you know, consistency. So, you know, building, balancing the registers, um, all that groundwork in the first two years, hopefully, and then from there moving on to more stylistic shifts Mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, gosh, musical theater students today have to sing everything, everything in every style, and not all of, not everybody's going to be amazing at everything, but trying it all while they're here is a goal. Yep. I mean, we just released uh, today as I record this. So now we're going to be a couple weeks uh, as people are listening. But um, we just released Lauren Patton's episode. And she talks about, I'm still in voice lessons. You know, she just won a Tony Award for it. She says, every week, still working on stuff, still working on different stuff. I'm like, that's, yeah, it's a lifelong journey. It's not like, oh, and you're fixed and you're done and you're Broadway quality. So you've got it now. Yeah. And by the time they're seniors, what I hope that they can leave with vocally is, is a it's a lot of self-knowledge of their own instrument, mm-hmm. right? So that they, if they're heavy in a belty show for six months, that they know what to do to get themselves back in balance if they then have to go audition for Gentleman's Guide or something mm-hmm. like that, right? And so they know their instrument. They know they know what to do to, obviously, voice lessons are great, but in the yep. meantime, yeah. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, it's like uh, going to the gym with a personal trainer or whatever. It's like something that's helpful, but hopefully you know enough to go, I can do some of these exercises. Even if I were in the gym alone, I'd know how to lift these weights, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Now we're getting way outside of my area of expertise. We talk talking about lifting weights. Um, <laughs> I'd love to just talk a little bit. You came into the school uh, three years ago. So in the middle of COVID, right? Um, or just the beginning of COVID. This is my third year. So 21? 21, right? Yeah. So yeah, we'll call that mid, yeah. mid-COVID, mid-pandemic, totally mid-COVID, the, yeah. the depths of it all. Um, what changes have you seen? Obviously, you weren't there right at the beginning necessarily of you know some of the changes that may have come from both COVID and from uh, uh, George Floyd, but like, what changes have you seen over the past couple of years and, and what changes have you been a part of and where do you see the school changing in the next couple of years? Yeah, that's a lot of great questions. Um, so we definitely take our diversity and inclusion efforts very seriously and um, really try to use a multi-layered approach so that we're looking at our curriculums. Um, we're looking at season selection to make sure that our population is represented. Um, we have a lot of new hires in the School of Theater right now. Um, two of three of them are people of color. So that's really important to us. Um, yeah, just really looking at all aspects. We have more meetings with the students. We have a lot more student meetings. So if any issues come up that they want to talk about, we give them that that platform to talk with the faculty on a regular basis. Um, as far as the virtual world that we're in, you know, that again has, has to be part of our curriculum yeah. now. So talking about self-tapes, learning how to self-tape, especially being in Tallahassee, they have to do a lot of self-tapes for summer stock even. Yeah. So guiding them, coaching them through that, um, it's just, it, it's all, it's sort of all infused in this new world. Yeah. And the, I won't ask every professor this because I think at some point it'll get um, old, but while we're in the current of it all, have you guys talked about the Supreme Court ruling in terms of, does that affect you at all admission-wise or how it would affect you all admission-wise? Yeah, I, I don't really have much to say on that at this point, sort of just waiting for we're waiting. information. We're all as, waiting for uh, You know, time. I just... Wait to get informed as I need to know. Totally makes sense. Um, what about, uh, we, we mentioned, you know, we have a lot of parent listeners. Do you have any advice for the parents out there? You know, you have a parent of high school students yourself. Um, anything that, you know, as you would approach this process, especially, let's say, our rising seniors who are listening to this, though it could be certainly for juniors and sophomores who are just beginning their process, but for those rising seniors about to go through a full year of auditions, um, what kind of advice would you throw to, to the parents? Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest one, and I try to say this to myself about my own kids, is that it's all going to be okay, and they're going to find the school that is the right fit for them. Um, it, it, I mean, this is what you do every day, right? You know this. Um, it, it's out there, and um, ultimately who they connect with and, and what they're excited about and to listen to them, um, it's, you know, as much guidance as you can possibly give them and love and support through the, through the process. It it's, can't be easy. Um, but it's also, it's musical theater. So we have to remember <laughs> the joy in it, right? I'll never forget being like so nervous to go on stage for one of my first summer stock jobs. And, and I looked at my castmate next to me and he was like, Lisa, this is not brain surgery. This is musical theater. <laughs> What's the worst thing that happens on this stage? What's the absolute worst thing at the highest stakes? Yeah. yeah so true. Yeah, it's so true. It, it's so hard. I mean, I'm writing a blog about this currently, but it's so hard to like be in the different parts of the process. Like by the audition, I think it is actually easier to find joy, but it's hard right now in August and September and October. You're doing the pre-screens. You're in that part of the process to think toward the like, oh my God, my joy of, performing and loving this. And I did get into this because I want to do this. The process gets so complicated that it's easy to kind of go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And, and like, actually, oh. other advice I would have is to not be shy about reaching out to professors directly. I mean, I'm surprised that more students don't reach out to us. Uh -huh. But, you know, over the summer, I think I've had maybe three students that reached out and were like, I just have more questions about the BFA and the BM. And hey, could we Zoom? And I'm like, of course, sure. Let's, you These know, are let's... prospective seniors. Who yeah, just, I just want to learn a little more. Yeah. yeah, totally. Or sometimes it's the parents that lead. Yeah. Um, but either way, like the, we're here just to make it all easier and they should feel free. It also helps us because now we know that there's a super motivated student and yeah. now we've, you know, it's like, what can I, help me remember you. Yep. I love that. Well, how do you feel? That's a question we get a lot. And, you know, we have uh, a secret advice I won't tell you on this pod out loud to our parents. But, but how do you feel about how parents 
if parents are leading, how they lead. Like, how do you feel in terms of, hey, I like to be interacted with a parent by a parent this way versus are there any places where you go, hey, this actually now feels like it's overstepping what the student should be doing, et cetera? No, I never feel like it's overstepping. The only thing that becomes slightly, not difficult, but more of a challenge is if I get emails that are two pages long and loaded basically with their entire performance history, because that's not information that's helpful to me. What's helpful to me is just an introduction, who they are, what their specific questions are that I can help with. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's what I want to be able to help with. I can't do anything with the information that you just got this role in your show. Right. I'll see that on their that resume. Great. I'll just pass the pre-screen then. I don't no, even look at it. I will say when that is helpful is if we're in a waitlist situation, uh-huh. if the student wants to update us with things that are going on, that kind of communication is helpful. Yeah. And what are you gaining from that? I mean, the, we give oh, that same advice of waitlist of, yes, tell them you just booked this thing, tell yeah. them this thing. But what are you gaining from that in terms of your waitlist movement? What, what makes you go, I want to jump on this person, you know, because they emailed me? Because I know they're still really interested in us. Yeah. And, and not because they were cast in, you're like, oh, their high school thinks they're good. They must no. be good. Right. That's, no, I mean, that's unless great people are like, also. I wasn't cast in a role. I was like, oh, that's okay. Like, it's not what it's <laughs> yeah, about. Totally. No, because I mean, at that point, it's really about, we want them, the student, you know, the shift of power. I yeah. hate that there's power involved at all, but the students are in the, the power seat yes. at that point. They really are. Well, I love also that you said, uh, and you know, it's so true that even as reputable a program as Florida State, that when you're at that third round callback, you are already pitching them. Like that's the part that students do get it. It freaks them out in March when they have their acceptance letters. Like, oh my God, I have the power now. But to be like, you have some of the power from the beginning. You're oh. the customer. You're the one who's paying these colleges. They want you. They want to want the specific ones of you that they want, but when they want them, they want you now. It's you really do have some power. Absolutely. And right from the start, I will see a pre-screen and say, "We're never going to get this student." <laughs> I mean, I won't I won't stop like trying, like, I'll but I'll be like in. they're going to get, get accepted everywhere. And yeah. so, you know, the students yeah. that we accept are also getting accepted to lots of amazing programs. Right. And we know that. It's competitive on both ends. It's not yeah. just competitive you Absolutely. Know, uh, to get into the schools. All right. Well, we'll wrap there. Elisa, this was such a, a joy. Um, if people want to check out more information, where would you send them? Do you like website? Do you want to, they're all going to email you directly. Your, your inbox is going to be flooded with emails after this. <laughs> um, do you want social media? What feels the, the best way to, to follow along with more? Yeah, I think the best is either. So there's, again, there's two websites, right? So if they put in, um, I don't have the exact website address, but I'm sure you can link it. So there's the School of Theater, BFA mm-hmm. Music Theater. And then if you put um, BM Music Theater, you'll end yep. up at the College of Music. Yep. And so when so you- compare and contrast these websites and combine totally. them. Totally. But last year we created this awesome infographic, which shows the difference between the BM and the BFA. So that's yep. a great- great thing to look at. And again, they don't have to know that when they're auditioning only after they say yes, that they make that choice, right? When they're auditioning, they audition or they're auditioning for one of the No, they have to check the box when they are applying because they either have to apply to the College of Music or the School of Theater. I misheard that information. So so they're checking that off when they first, when they first audition, they're going, check BM Music Theater is what I'm auditioning for. And they only get accepted into one. But then before the end of the process they can switch they can switch they just they have to start off with one but there's no version of like it's not like nyu where you can click say i want both i do either correct pick one of them because that would be like applying to the university twice twice makes total right. sense and also students have switched in their freshman year right right i mean it's well, more I difficult that. I, yeah. I thought that was a choice you're saying they make freshman year when they come in but you're saying when they apply they, cl- they no they have to pick one yeah that's good enough okay great um well we end with a little tidbit we love um alisa thanks so much for coming on the pod uh, it was really a joy thank you so much it was great oh yeah i hope you enjoyed that episode with alisa she was really great. Since I knew she was a listener, I was motivated to give her some tougher questions, and I thought she handled them all with aplomb. Uh, and I think some really great information on the intricacies of that specific program. I often learn in these interviews. Um, sometimes I'm asking questions that I already pretty much know the answer to, and sometimes not, and that they're really asking um, questions. But I definitely appreciated understanding the granularity of the BM-BFA distinction there, which works a bit differently than other schools, even other schools that have that specific dual option. Um, doing separate schools but one class really is a cool and kind of different way to do it. Um, In terms of a takeaway today, I want to talk about something that Elisa did, reaching out to tell us that she liked the podcast and wanted to come on, in the idea of showing interest. 
Um, I know we've talked about it specifically in the context of wait lists before, uh, and certainly something that we go really in depth with in our webinars in the spring, but I really like the way Elisa talked about how she appreciates interest shown throughout the year. I'll bet you'd be surprised how many of these schools, even these most competitive schools, are actually not barraged by emails all throughout the year the way you think they might be. I'm not talking about their office admission, I'm talking about these program heads, you know, in a September moment. I'll use my beautiful wife as a metaphor here, why not, on our wedding week? Um, but you hear quite often, and I think she's no exception, that beautiful people talk about how rarely they have genuine romantic interest expressed to them. And here I'm noting genuine romantic interest is different than like a Tinder swipe, but someone who's actually approaching them in real life and saying, hey, I think you're beautiful, I'd like to talk to you, I'd like to um, express some interest in you. People assume that that person is out of their league and they assume they'd be wasting that person's time, so they often just kind of take themselves out of the running. It, sometimes, in Elizabeth's case, it takes a naive guy like me to, just to step up to the plate and give himself a shot, make the phone call. Uh, and in this process, to continue that ongoing dating metaphor that we seem to go back to week after week, it is often about the intention behind that interest, right? Based on the timing of year, based on the authenticity of the way that interest is expressed, it is often easy to sniff out how genuine it is, right? You wouldn't want to try to express interest to a school with any kind of ulterior motive, or if it feels like something that you're forcing, that you're really trying to do it, but they don't seem to want to be receiving it. But for the schools that you're able to visit, for the professors whose contact information you find publicly available, if you can strike up a genuine relationship of back and forth information, that's really excellent, right? And you try to take your cues from them. Do they seem like they're open to chatting more? Do they seem like they want to continue that email conversation? You know, you got to use your judgment and make sure you're not outstaying your welcome. But I wouldn't start from a place of, I'm definitely wasting their time. They probably get a million emails like this. They don't want to hear from me. You might just be asking a good question that leads to a great conversation and puts your good foot forward. Now, if it seems like this counters some of my uh, past advice when I talk about threading the needle, especially during like the pre-screens or the application portion of this process, I understand. I do still recommend that you find your best balance with this process and let the process come to you, not forcing it, not trying to do too much too early. You will not be hurting yourself by not doing any of these above things, by not going above and beyond early in the process. If the first time you interact with any faculty is in your good artistic pre-screen and the only other time is your good artistic callback, that can and very often does turn into a yes in this process. That is a very normal way to go through this. And with the numbers of schools many people are looking at, it is just not realistic that you're gonna establish deep and genuine relationships with each program that you before you've even filmed your pre-screens, some of whom may not pass your pre-screen and then you'll have wasted all that time and money on a visit that you never even end up getting to audition for the school. I firmly believe in the advice I've given previously of finding your authentic balance with how you focus on your artistic work and trust that your talent and hard work will out and that this is by far the most important factor in these school's artistic decisions. This is just when I talk about expressing interest, it is the other side of the coin with that balance. If you do have a few schools that you are uniquely interested, go for it, right? Email your questions. If it's feasible financially, feel free to set up those visits or two, right? We talk about you're certainly not visiting all of your schools, but if you can visit a couple, if there's, you know, it's a car ride away, or if there's one or two plane rides, you happen to be going somewhere anyway and you can make it work, you can explore those potential relationships. It won't necessarily be a large factor in your admission, but it certainly can't hurt you, right? And by the way, this is especially true if those schools you choose aren't that handful of schools that are the uttermost competitive, where the idea of showing interest will just likely not be in, as impactful at those three, four, five schools that are you know, the most competitive inside after schools. It's not that it'll hurt you there, it's just that it's less likely to stand out in the same positive light that it will at a lot of other still very competitive schools. And this interest idea maybe dovetails into the other side of threading the needle that I want to talk about today with how you approach the process as well. For all of the schools that have these more unique audition requirements or more unique processes, like Florida State with their second callback, right? it's a different process than a lot of the other musical theater schools do, you heard Elisa say truthfully that some families who weren't financially able to make that second trip, they could still be admitted from their first audition. So for them, they found that balance for themselves and it worked out. But of course, if you are interested in the school, it's great to go to that callback weekend. 
And the same holds true, though maybe to a lesser extent based on what the requirement is, for any of those kind of extra steps that might help differentiate a pre-screen requirement or differing audition requirement where you might be able to kind of skirt around the requirement and go, well, well, they'll probably take this. It's very similar, right? It's not that they couldn't accept you if you threaded the needle and slightly skirted that instruction, right? You will likely all choose to do some version of this somewhere in your process. But the flip side is also really nice from the school's end when they see that you really read their specific instruction and did something unique for them. Um, we gave the example uh, previously with Boston University where they ask for a you know a specific location um, pre-screen. This is something this is at least two years ago that they did, and that if you're gonna you know take the time and really think about that. Of course, that's a lot of work if you do it for every single program. Luckily, each program doesn't have that specific requirement. But when you do take the time and really think about, hey, what is a good location? What really feels right for me? They know you're really expressing interest in that specific school. It's just not always possible, so I want to express that. But when you can, it can really pay off for you. Well, that's another episode in the books produced by Megan Cordier. Please like, subscribe, maybe give me a rating and review as a wedding present, much better than flowers, if I do say so myself, or give us a follow at Mapping the College Edition on Instagram. Check us out on our website at mtca.nyc. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, how late is too late to start writing your wedding vows? For the last time, my fiancé is going to sing us out. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.